Welcome to episode three of series three of Any More Tea. It's great to have you with us. Very excited about today. Um, but life has well and truly happened, doesn't it, Katie? I'm in a huff. Go on. Well, I'm in a huff because I didn't get to do what I wanted to do. Yeah, and life sometimes does that for us, doesn't it? Yeah, so I'm huffy. Yeah. It's just going to be me what? throwing my toys out of the pram and just being a bit marred. Do you know what okay. marred is? Well, it's, it's quite northern. It's northern moody, isn't it? Yeah, we would yeah. say a marred something, um, okay. which is a swear, another word right. for a butt. Um, okay. And we say it in that very northern, you're mad, yeah. um, like that. Um, so, yeah, I'm being a bit marred, to be honest with you. Um, so, yeah, life has got in the way and I didn't manage to make the recording of Will. <laughs> because no, I was I in think, a meeting. <laughs> I think he was quite disappointed, actually, that he it was, it was just me. Of course he was. He'd, he'd heard about the legend that is Katie Sumner. <laughs> and then he was like, oh, great. It's just an, another vicar. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, and I too um, was gutted, but, you know, I, listen, they've had two things. One's brilliant and one's not. I had a kid in year 10 call me joyous in front That's, of his mates. That is amazing. How, yep. you know, that is life happening. That was, and you know, I took him to one side afterwards and said, you don't know what kind of an effect that's had on me. Thank you. Um, and he's not the kind of kid you would expect it from. So, it, you know, God works in mysterious ways. And um, that was, it, it opened my eyes up to a lot of things. And then I forgot about a meeting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which I, I yeah, I, I quite like it when I do that in some ways. But yeah, Completely but not when your boss it. has called you to it. No, and um, got the timings all wrong. In my head, it was going sort of straight from when I finished work, but it wasn't because I finished work at a very different time from everybody else. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, it was when they finished work. Oh, uh, oh, so, yeah, shucks. So um, I did not get to um, interview Will, but I was, you know, I was, and I'm gutted because it's so very intriguing, isn't it, this story? Yeah. It's um, how it pans out and his life and his mental health and where he's got to sort yeah. of today um so yeah I, I had all the questions it'd have been one of those where you would were trying to ask things sensible things and i'd be just like oh no 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 <laughs> what about this what about this yeah so in i do some apologize ways... if, it, if it's far too sensible folks but uh, <laughs> there we go but it, it is an extraordinary story and similar to um to kate in episode two mm. of you know those those times when the old phrase which i don't like but it is kind of so true about when life gives you lemons make lemonade but it is taking a difficult set of circumstances doing something incredibly positive with it and you know Will's story you know will resonate with all of us who are alive in 2005 for those of us that weren't it will still ring some bells with the journey that he's he's been through yeah and um yeah it is it is quite extraordinary so Sit back, have a listen, and enjoy the incredible story and extraordinary mental health journey of Will Vanderhart. You're listening to Any More Tea. Great. Well, Will, fantastic to have you uh, on Any More Tea. Thank you for giving up your time. We have a tradition here 
and I don't even know how this has come about, how it started, but um, the first uh, question of anyone that any guest that we that we have on uh, revolves around the first time that I met them. Um, and it's the second time I've ever had to do this. The first time was when we interviewed Milton Jones on the last series. Um, I have to start with a confession because you probably I hope you don't remember this at all. But um, I have to confess that I'm trying to work back when this was, I think in about 2013 or 14, um, you were the guest on a panel um, on a clergy day that I think probably Bishop Paul did, I think, or Bishop Graham, I can't remember which. Um, and I asked you a very inappropriate question. Um, and I now look back and it was what I was thinking about this the other day I, I'm so sorry I asked it about um, the classic line that we'll come on to later about um, uh, mental health and the demonic as often people did and um, being as I was very young and naive and not being through my own breakdown by that point it's, it was a terrible question um, and then the other one which actually links quite actually it's the first time we met in person um, but just go back to the previous one you answered it with such grace um, as well and a uh, um, and loving force, I thought, as well, as well which was very good. Um, but the second time we met actually was, in fact, it was Bishop Paul who introduced us. And we met um, in the subway of South Kensington Station um, at an HTB conference several years ago and said briefly, hello. <laughs> that, was, that was it. Um, great. So, uh, Will, again, thank you so much for, for, uh, for joining us. And I thank you for being so gracious um, in, answering, in answering my question. Um, <laughs> no problem. Uh, ne next question to you is, um, you decided to become a vicar or head down the ordination track at the age of 23. Tell, tell yeah, us about right. that. Why, why, why so young? <laughs> yeah, it's a really good question. I mean, goodness, I, I was actually chatting to my dad earlier, who's now 83. Right. And uh, and and he was, you know, he was he's always lamenting how much how hard I'm working. And uh, and I was saying, oh, it's not going to be like this forever, Dad. He said, oh, yes, but you love the church, Will, and it's such a good job. And you've got to keep on telling people about Jesus. So he's sort of rooting for me to, like, keep, keep stay in my lane. And, you know, and I, I think what a privilege to have done uh, as I have now, um, you know, been in the church for for, for a long time, 20, uh, 20 years or so. Um, uh, you know, training and and then ordination. Um, I I came from a Christian family. I I don't like to use the prodigal story anymore as an example because I think Jesus wasn't actually teaching about moral behaviour. He was trying to tell everyone about the radical love of God. But yeah, you know, I definitely came from the family who loved the Lord, and I, I definitely I went away quite hard, particularly in my years as a student in Cambridge, and um, I. I had I was sort of I had a deep vault of Christian teaching, but I didn't have a sort of really full-on personal encounter with God that made me really want to serve Him. And um, it was actually in my sort of first year of being a, a sort of professional after university that I had a, a really powerful encounter with God. And 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 I, and I and I might sound strange to people listening, but I definitely had a sort of prophetic vision of. God having invested this sort of gold in me and then it coming out um, at this stage and, and sharing whatever it was that I'd been given. That verse um, that, you know, we, we share a comfort that we ourselves have received, definitely kind of very much part of my story. And um, I, I guess I, I, as a sort of with a deep sense of imposter syndrome, started pressing a few doors and was just deeply amazed by the fact that they started to open. I kept saying, Lord, 
you know, like, you know, you can shut the door at any time, <laughs> you know, Lord, if you don't want me to do this, please close the door. And every door I pushed um, seemed to open. And, you know, I, I found myself suddenly, I remember being on my bike at Oxford, uh, cycling around the city, sort of whooping with joy that I'd left the professional world again and was now studying theology. <laughs> um, I'm not sure it was because I wanted to be a student again or whether yeah. I really wanted to be a, a priest, but I, I, I felt a deep sense of joy. And I've, yeah, I've been in the church ever since. Um, and it's, you know, as you know, it's full of challenges, but it's, it's, a, it's the greatest privilege uh, in my life. Um, yeah. Aside from my wife and family, it's the, it's the biggest privilege is to, is to serve God through the ministry of the church. Yeah, absolutely. You um, you skipped over it very quickly there, um, but just kind of uh, uttered those immortal words, had quite a powerful encounter with God. Can you, yeah. um, if you're up for it, just tell us a little bit more about that, how it came about, yeah. what actually happened? I mean, I, I'd, I'd, have a, I'd had a few sort of, uh, I, I think I'd swung like <laughs> this sort of wrestling of like both kind of wild hedonistic kind of laddist living which was very much the economy of the 1990s uh and uh, into the sort of almost monastic of like oh no i'm going after the lord and and i I felt very divided between you know sports and socializing not that those things are in themselves wrong but the way in which they were manifest in my life was not healthy Uh, and then and then really sort of going after the lord and i i went away on a trip with some uni mates which was which wasn't a good trip uh, spiritually at all uh, and then just it came back and I think I felt very very uh, contrite and kind of broken and exhausted mm. and kind of partied out and I, and I, I remember being in church and sort of saying Lord I, I really don't want to live this life anymore and um, I, I, have, I said I had an incredible sense of sort of fire you know the sort of warmth of the spirit filling me and I remember sort of shaking and then, but also having this, having a very, this really clear sort of vision of these kind of gold hoops in, in, in my mind's eye kind of circling around me and then vanishing. And I said, Lord, you know, have you left me? And then the Lord said, no, I haven't left you. I'm calling you. And then I sort of opened my mouth in this picture and they, they kind of came tumbling out. Uh, and uh, that was, it, it was so sort of, it felt so profound and direct but also I was in absolute disbelief because I was in the sort of, Lord, you couldn't possibly use me. I'm a terrible sinner and I'm so unrighteous and, you know, I can't possibly do anything other than sort of keep the seats warm. Um, and yeah, so that was, that was the beginning of a journey. I think it involved a huge amount of sort of soul searching, repentance, confession, um, prayer, guidance, mm. but, but that was the beginning of it. And I've never really lost sight of, of, of that vision um and i think it's given me a lot of strength to to trust the lord that when he calls you to speak even if what you say isn't popular or isn't on trend or isn't even particularly profound mm-hmm. that, that he still he can still work through through you and i think that's been a strength in my ministry because um, I definitely, I, I know there's a tendency in all of us to sort of seek approval and validation from man. I, my shaving prayer has always been, Lord, let me fear you, not man. Mm-hmm. Um, that's sort of, sort of start the day in that kind of way. It's not always easy, but that sense of God's call has really has been a real sort of supernatural fuel to my ministry in terms of saying, for as long as you want me, Lord, I, I want to serve you. 
Yeah, amazing. So then we kind of fast forward a, a few years um, from that moment. You find yourself uh, as a young um, curate, junior vicar in, um, in Marylebone, and then you're walking past Esher Road Station in mm. a, on a, a, a momentous and horrific day for the, for the whole country. Mm. And in one sense, you know, I, I kind of let you describe it, but it, you know, it, I guess, changed you as well in many ways. Oh, yeah. for, for those who don't know the story, you know, fill people yeah. in a bit about you and the London bombings. Sure. So um, July the 7th, uh, and uh, 2005, um, uh, I remember I, my wife was going to a conference in Oxford. I remember walking her down to Paddington Station from our flat, which was just on the corner of Edgeware Road, um, and dropped her off there at about nine o'clock for a, a train, then walked back. And I, I probably arrived back at our, just outside Edgeware Road Station at, at about 12 minutes past nine. And the London bombs had, had you know, the London bombs were going off at that point. The Edgeware Road bomb had just gone off. And, and did, um, you, always, did you hear it? Or no, no, no? I, I didn't hear it. But the, I didn't hear it. But the you know, and there were always cordons going. I mean, when you live somewhere like Edgeware, we're also we're close to Mary's Hospital, so you've got mm-hmm. St Mary's, which is ambulances coming all the time, and then cordons going up all the time. So. It wasn't unusual to see a cordon, or even a cordon hadn't even appeared there, but there was a few policemen outside the entrance. And I, I, I sort of slipped into my office, which was directly opposite the station, kept looking out the window, thinking what's happening. And I felt a deep sense of disease, which I now think was this you know, early spirit really prompting me. And I, and I went out, I went up to my flat and I just put on my dog collar and crossed the road. And I said, look, guys, um, I, 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 I sort of said, you know, is everything okay? And, they said, no, there's been, a, there's been a electrical sort of fault. There's been some sort of incident. We're trying to sort of work it out. And I, I walked away back to the office for a bit. And then I came out and a cordon had come up. And I went back under the cordon. And a guy came sort of running. There's only five minutes later, running towards me, covered in soot and smoke and started muttering something about there being bodies, bodies. And he was obviously very deeply distressed. But I kind of carried on walking into the sort of epicenter of the whole thing and then said to them, Please, would you like to use this hall? I've got I had this hall uh, there, Samaritan Hall, as a as a sort of place to work from. And they, anyway, they 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 jumped at the chance because it was obviously a much bigger operation mm. than, than than was initially assumed. And that that then became the sort of operational base for the whole of the net, the uh, ambulance service, fire fire officers, SO thirteen guys. And I was weirdly kind of cordoned in as this very junior first year curate. I had the sort of bishops on the phone. Um, no one could get to the site because it was now triple cordoned. No one mm-hmm. could get out. Um, and I had this really strange experience. I mean, local supermarkets were dropping off all their, you know, Starbucks, Marks and Sparks. It became this kind of very big site. And I was lost in it all, really. I think I knew what I felt I should be doing, which was kind of praying with people, encouraging them making tea, you know, all the sort of stuff vicars do. Mm. And initially that was all fine. But then about 10, it was about half past 10, some firemen said, because the phone network's been switched off and some firemen said, have you got a TV we could watch? And I, and I said, yeah, sure, I'll, I'll get one. So I, I went up to my flat and I brought a little black and white TV down. And I remember I put it on the altar of this little hall that we had. And by this time there were probably two or 300 emergency service personnel in the site but I remember standing alongside 
about six or seven massive fire, basically massive to me, firemen mm. and women watching this little black and white TV. And I don't know if you remember those harrowing scenes from the Russell Square bus bomb, but it was yeah. absolutely horrific. And my friend and colleague, John Valentine, was sort of on the screen trying to push the, you know, the media away from bodies that were lying on the ground. At that point, I think everyone in the room realised this was not a sort of singular terrorist attack or, mm. or certainly not an electrical incident, but this was a coordinated attack. And none of these guys knew because they were working on this one site. And that's when the sort of temperature changed in the environment. It sort of temperature dropped by about 20 degrees. And you could sort of sense this palpable anger. I, I, I went outside and sort of vomited on the floor, which was very strange, um, but was a sort of sign at the time of how emotionally charged I was. Mm -hmm. um, anyway, the long and the short of it was that ran through, I think, about 10 or 11 o'clock at night. So Ian Blair turned up, who was the sort of chief commissioner at the time. And we were all in the mix and ended up, we, we had these awards as a church and me individually for service to the Met. And I felt like a total fraud. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I felt like an absolute loser. I thought, oh my goodness, you know, I've done nothing. I've offered nothing. I've, I've, I've provided nothing. Uh, and I felt very strangely guilty for my lack of, whatever it was I thought I should have provided. Mm -hmm. And then over the summer, I began to withdraw into myself. Um, I felt very isolated from other people. A lot, of, a lot of other people were asking me about the event and were sort of wowing what I'd done. But I, I felt that was so discordant for me because I felt such a fraud. And then we sort of came back into London end of August and Yes, I just felt started to feel real, real sense of disease in myself, and then suddenly I started having really quite acute panic attacks, uh, and that was the beginning of my sort of psychological decline. Mm -hmm. you, you've said um, previously, I've heard you talking about it that although obviously the London bombings was a massive incident for you in your life, that actually though it was kind of like a a moment actually though that had built over a number of years and if it hadn't been that something else possibly would have tipped you over into into struggling mm. kind of emotionally and psychologically i think that's right tim i and i'm really nervous about this idea because it, it, it's part of it promulgates the same sort of thing that um we can escape from our mental health reality by sort of blaming it on one event mm. and, and i realize it's it, it you know, it's super convenient for me to, that I could spin it like, oh, I got PTSD because I helped the Met out during the London bombings. Look at me, aren't I wonderful? Yeah. Um, it, it sort of, it gives me an excuse to have a mental health problem. It's like, you know, suddenly I've got this sort of virtue around my illness and other people will be like, oh yeah, wow, that's amazing. I can't believe you went through that for you, but, but how courageous of you. Um, and that does a disservice to every person who mm. has not got the sort of um opportunities i have to talk about mental health uh, because it basically it diminishes their struggle into oh well will will somehow is legitimately mentally unwell but i'm not because i haven't got a story like that i desperately don't want to do that it, you know my my desire to be honest points me back to the fact that well before the london bombings i was a highly anxious child young person I, 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 I certainly remember worry slash prayer 
you know, incessant worry, prayers that where amen never ended, uh, you know, to, to sort of heightened anxiety. I, I think I had a panic attack at university that I, I thought was a migraine, but I, I sort of seemed very similar to experience I had later, um, looking back. And I, I came from a family with a history of anxiety and depression. And that there's a genetic vulnerability, 40% mm -hmm. genetic vulnerability, you know, through the generations. So there were, there were, there were, there were definitely deep vulnerabilities, particularly around anxiety uh, in my, in myself and in my family. And what the London bombings did was bring to a very acute head a mental health disorder, which was definitely under the surface at that time. Um, and so I had this acute episode of anxiety, which, <clears throat> which started in sort of early September, went on really through to the December. Um, and at its peak, I was sort of having nine or 10 panic attacks back to back a night, uh, was sleepless, yeah. shaking all the time, couldn't eat, uh, felt sort of all the sort of crazy symptoms of acute anxiety. And... Um, and, and, and obsessive compulsive kind of thoughts, uh, rumination, like obsessive kind of guilt, uh, self-recrimination, you name it, it was all kind of going on. Mm. Um, and I needed, uh, I was on Prozac for quite a while through that year. I needed uh, therapy. I had some talk, I had some CBT, and then I had, I started uh, psychodynamic psychotherapy, which I did for the next two years. And, and you know, praise God, I, I experienced incredible healing mm -hmm. um and and yet i was also diagnosed with a an anxiety disorder i have, I have what's called gad generalized anxiety disorder mm -hmm. which is still my diagnosis today um and alongside that you know i definitely have had episodes of acute anxiety which flows into sort of almost ocd style thinking mm -hmm. um but yeah that that journey led to a huge sort of awakening of me like both to myself my reality I, it made sense of lots of my kind of prodigal like behavior which i now i see both as sin and also self-medication mm -hmm. um trying to escape worry trying to quieten my mind um and then and then uh, you know the lord sometimes breaks your heart for uh his broken heart for others you know he like i i I had not easy, I, I had some loving colleagues, but not easy treatment in the church when I first became ill. Mm -hmm. um, we had a tendency at the time, 2005, you know, this was a tendency to spiritualize mental health or to physicalize it. So I was either yeah. tired or the devil had got into me. Yeah. Um, and it was actually my doctor who, uh, I don't need to go into any details, but my doctor definitely uh, had a lifestyle and uh, open ideas that weren't that wouldn't have fit, fitted that comfortably with the evangelical sort of church model I belong to. Yeah, and he was the most loving, kind, and generous doctor I've ever encountered. Mm. And he phoned me out of hours at least five times to check that I was okay, unsolicited. And and this is a guy who's running a, one of you know West London's busiest practices. Uh, and he was my Samaritan man. You know, changed mm. my mind about so many things and. Just, yeah, he just gave me such deep confidence that I was going to get better. Within the church, I, I felt the opposite. I felt sidelined, stigmatized. Um, 
I had leaders who knew me as a kind of competent speaker phoning up and sort of saying, oh, he have had a breakdown as if it was some sort of freak show that you could come and watch. Um, and yeah, I was horrified. Mm. And I thought, as I began to recover, I thought, well, if I'm getting this sort of treatment as a priest, what's happening to other people in the congregations who've got yeah. mental health problems? Yeah. Uh, and as soon as I started talking about it, they started appearing in their droves. Yep. And yeah, that was the moment when I knew God was calling me specifically to work within the field of mental and emotional health. Yeah, it's a fascinating thing to, to say, because I remember the first Sunday that I openly talked about my breakdown. Um, I had a guy come up to me that I thought I knew really well. And he came up to me and he, he she almost sort of tapped me on the shoulder and whispered in my ear and just said, Tim, I've been off work for the last three months. And I, you know, uh, you know, as a um, church leader, as a pastor, it was, that was like, oh, how, you know, how well do I know my congregation, you know, kind of yeah. at all. Um, you talked about those, you know, the, those dark places that we went, that you went to, um, that I know so well. And people listening to this will be, I guess, possibly putting the two together and going, well, hang on a minute. You're a great man of faith. It's a real calling um, to be a vicar. You're now in this really dark place and yet you've come out of the other side. Why didn't you in the middle of that jack your faith in and just think God's left me? This is, this is nonsense. What, what brought you through it? Yeah, that's a really great question to ask. I mean, well, one of the weird things about sort of depression uh, per se is that it, it has a really powerful effect on your hypothalamus, which is where we tend to experience the sort of God feeling, the kind of connectivity. Um, and what's really difficult for people who are going through extreme sort of anxiety, acute sort of anxiety or depression is, 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 a, is an actual feeling that God has left you. You know, there's an actual sort of blunt feeling or, you know, we talk about emotional blunting or spiritual numbness. Mm-hmm. It's very, very hard to feel love when you're in that space. It's like I, I was saying to someone I was, I was coaching today that you know, there, are, there are very few places as desolate as that f- place of depression where you just, you just feel alone emotionally because part of your brain that does that switches off. It really helped me having Rob Waller, who's, my, who's a consultant psychiatrist and dear mm-hmm. friend, alongside me because he could explain some of this science to me as I was going through this challenge. He, you know, we've came to the idea that sort of God is still broadcasting, but your receiver is broken. Not that's not a great analogy. Just because you're not receiving, God's 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 still broadcasting. You know, uh, the assumption can be there's nothing wrong with me, but there's something wrong with God. Yeah. Um, I, <clears throat> I I looked I looked to God in different ways. I think I, I looked to God to show me His love through others, and mm-hmm. I think like my 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 doctor was a sign to me of God's love, uh, like the Samaritan, unexpected love. Um, my wife, who was quite young, I mean, we were, we were only just married a couple of years. You know, my wife was only 20 um, at that time. And, you know, it's pretty extreme when your husband has a massive nervous breakdown within a year mm. of getting married. Uh, she was, she, 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 you know, God showed me his love through her patience and, her endless listening to whatever drivels coming out of my mouth, um, her 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 kind of fierceness for me. I think I, I saw kind of evidence of God's love in in people, which again has been a real education for me in how we love and support people with mental health problems. Because mm-hmm. you know it's easy to be talking in ethereal ways about you know feel the presence or sense the presence of Jesus, but yeah. 
But actually, if, if your receptors have switched off, you need more than that. You need something physical, tangible. You know, you need people to stand alongside you and be present with you. Mm. And so that in itself was a key part of the journey. Um, when I did begin to recover, I think the God feeling came back more strongly. I think I was more aware of it. You know, when you haven't, you know, it's like if you live, in, I live under the flight path of Heathrow mm-hmm. and, um, and you know, when they stopped the planes during COVID, so it all goes quiet and you notice the quietness, but then you forget about it. But then when the plane starts again, it sounds so loud. Loud, yeah. Because it's like, it's so like, oh my goodness. And I think when my, when my brain started working again, the voice of God felt really powerful because I felt the silence. And it was also helpful because I could discern what, what's my voice in my own head and what, what is actually God saying to me. So there was a bit of unpicking that happened even through that season of silence. Um, but it's not something I'd want anyone to go through. No, you know, it's a horrible feeling. It's a horrible thing, yeah. so you know. Mm. Um, you know, I also, you know, it's a sort of deep sense of part, of part of the reason of being a priest, I guess. I mean, maybe this is common to all priests is, is a sort of incredible sense of utility to life without God. Yeah. You know, I think like I, I, I just, I, you know, I love, for holidays and I, you know, I quite admire beautiful looking cars, but could I dedicate my life to making money and driving cars and going on holidays? No, absolutely not. Mm. You know, I've, I've got a, I just absolutely, <laughs> I just, I just know there's more to life and I just long to like help other people to encounter it in all its fullness. So yeah, there's that, there's that sense of like, actually we're made for more than this. Mm. That, that definitely drives me. Yeah, well, that's brilliant. And some such, you know, helpful analogies uh, in there as well. A lot of people now will, you know, if the statistic is true, that one in three of us will have a mental health issue uh, within the next 12 months. And I think, you know, in my own experience and, and, and pastoring others, it's absolutely true. And at times it's even more than that. If we're going to encounter people and some of us very close um, at hand that will have mental health issues, what's your your do you think your, your top piece of advice for, you know, maybe a close friend, relative, someone close to you that's, that's going through a really, you know, anxiety, depression, whatever it is, what's, what's the best thing do you think we can do? The best thing we can do is not advise. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I think we've been running the Mind Soul Foundation now, as I say, to, since that, since 2005, a, a long time. Um, and we have four and a half, five million clicks a year now from all around the world, which is, really encouraging and the stuff that comes through from our users is is often i just want to be heard i just want someone to stand with me i want i want i want to i want to i want someone to empathize with me but i don't want someone to advise me as I, i'd always look about it this way you know if, if a friend came to you and said that they'd been diagnosed with a really really rare form of brain cancer would you go on to google and google you know, medications for really, really rare brain cancer and then tell them, oh, you should try this medication. It's apparently really good. Or, or would you tell them to like, you know, take a deep breath, uh, you know, or, or would you even go to, to like medical college and try and train to be a top neuroscientist so you could actually operate on their brain? You wouldn't do any of those things. You would, you would just feel overwhelmed for them and sit with them and cry with them and, and just be with them. As soon as you mentioned mental health, there are a thousand have-a-go heroes yeah. who are who are all all 
all believe that they're entirely qualified to basically <laughs> advise you out of your circumstance. Yeah. You're like, hold on a minute. You, you know, you've got no psychological training. You've got no personal experience. You've got no medical knowledge. Uh, you've got, you have no understanding. You've read no books. And yet you feel yeah. able to, to, to tell me what I need to do to get undepressed. Yeah. And that's, yeah, that's a terrifying and, uh, and deeply, deeply unhelpful reality mm. for most people, which is, which is also why so much mental health stuff is driven underground in the church, because, because we provide, if you like, spiritual answers to psychological problems. Yeah. Um, and just like medical problems, psychological problems, re, uh, you know, often the reality of the chemistry of our minds. Yeah. Um, and when, we, when someone has cancer, we pray and send them for chemotherapy. When someone has psychological problems, we pray and should send them to see a psychotherapist <laughs> yeah. you know, to receive medication. Yeah. But what we shouldn't do is say, here's the way in which you should be healed. So yeah. um, the best advice I can give to people is to stop giving advice. Um, of course, I mean, unless the advice is seek professional Special help. help. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah um and that's you know and any, to anyone who's listening to this who feels emotionally distressed if you've been emotionally distressed for two weeks or more if you've noticed changes to your appetite or sleep patterns and if you feel on edge or if you feel like withdrawing or if you're having any thoughts related to self-harm or suicide mm-hmm. make it an absolute priority to see your gp within the next 24 hours uh, or you can walk into any a e clinic and talk to them about having a, a mental health emergency don't take any risks and make it your priority to speak to a, a medical professional. Remember, uh, at least a third of GP um, appointments are mental health related. So your doctor won't think that you're wasting their time. time. Yeah. If you see your doctor and they say, look, there's nothing to worry about at this stage. That's absolutely fine. You've not wasted their time. Then you can go and do other things. But don't do yeah. other things and then go to your doctor. Start there, get the right professional help and then move on from that point. And I just want the church to echo that kind of outlook, really, yeah. um, and stop trying to do their own version uh, of, <laughs> um, you know, we, we all set up a special, our own special triage clinic for people, yep. you know, da-da-da, X, Y, Z. Yeah. yeah. No, mate, that, that, that's, that's brilliant. And, you, um, and we've got a couple of minutes left. You touched on that, um, all right, the uh, Mind and Soul Foundation um mm. so how, how many years now is it it's oh yeah 17 years i 17. think we've been running yeah and it was really funny because when we started i said to rob i really want to help the church to engage with mental health and he said i really want the nhs to engage with christian spirituality so we started from that point i remember we started writing a few blogs online and there was quickly sort of thirty thousand subscribers or something you know and, and we were the first sort of operation around mental health and christianity uh, and I mean, I got phone calls from people saying, you've got to stop talking about mental health. It's going to ruin your ministry. Yeah. No one's going to listen to you anymore. You know, what are you doing? This is crazy. You've got to give it up. The more they said that, of course, the louder I became. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, 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 and until 2012, to be honest, it was a battle. You know, we had a, mm-hmm. on the ground, we, have a lot, we had a lot of people who were in, experiencing mental health problems and were Christians or had interest in Christianity and were very sort of engaged and loyal to what we were trying to produce and, and, and trying to achieve. But within the leadership sphere, we had a lot of resistance. So it was sort of, we're not interested. This is weird. This is extra to the church. We don't need this. And then, it, interestingly, it was entirely outside of our remit of influence, but um, 
there was the Time to Change campaign, which mm -hmm. really made a difference to social attitudes towards mental health. And then Rick Warren's son, uh, Matthew Warren, sadly took his own life. Uh, yep. And uh, the Warrens talked really candidly about his struggle with personality disorder, particularly. Mm -hmm. And um, and that really changed, particularly the zeitgeist amongst the evangelical world, who who suddenly thought, wow, if Rick Warren's son could experience this, it could happen to any of us. And then from that point on, it's been a really, really busy, busy ride uh, in terms of training and equipping churches and leaders really all around the country for this work. And, and gladly, there are some really great new organisations or new organisations around too. And we have a lovely fraternal family um, with people like Kintsugi Hope Hug, and yeah. Sanctuary and yeah. Renew mm -hmm. um, and uh, Youthscape stuff with Be Headstrong. So there's, there's, there's a whole host of great uh, friendships there yeah and we, we we all we all cover slightly different things but we're all good friends in fact tomorrow we're all getting together for the bishop of london's lent appeal um when we'll all we're all having a big lunch to talk about where we're at with yeah. mental health in the church so it's 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 become an incredible um field of witness and work which is which is awesome fantastic um, well and uh Will, thank you so very, very much. And do check out mindandsoulfoundation.org if you want to find yeah, any more great. information. Um, Will, we have we kind of started with our traditional question. We have a traditional ending question um, okay. as well, which is very simply, how do you take your tea? Oh, I, I drink Earl Grey tea by the bucket load, white, no sugar, sugar. and very, very, very weak. So um, my colleagues are always like, they always stew it too much. I'm always complaining. I have to rebrew because uh, I like just a dash of milk, no sugar, and the very pale Earl Grey that will see me through the day. Yeah, so that's that's my tea. <laughs> Fantastic. It's quite good. It's quite good in a way that Katie's not here for this interview because she's kind of the opposite. It has to be okay. utterly strong and you know, heavily stewed. To, yeah, yeah, heavily <laughs> stewed. But uh, Will, again, thank you so so much for your time, and uh, God bless you in everything Thanks, uh, you're Tim. doing. Bless you. Thanks so much, Tim. You're listening to Any More Tea. Oh, mate. Blow me neck. I mean, there's journeys. There's pivotal points in your life. Um, there's making big decisions and there's will. Yeah. Extraordinary story, isn't it? And extraordinary to see, you know, how real he's been about it, how honest he's been about it. And see a guy that, you know, was, um, you know, in his junior vicarship as it were the word curate was junior vicar which none of us really use or know but that's where he was and then bang his life gets turned upside down yeah and um i think it's so relatable isn't it um to, to individual stories i mean those were some big events but i do think again god god works doesn't he in that way he, he uses somebody like will yeah. to show us um that the events that happen in our own life are played out um day after day after day um all over the world in in different things yeah um and it just um that faith uh, I, I also want to um big up um the church in a way and um people of of faith for being able to um embrace mental health yeah um because it, you know it's it's sometimes it's taboo sometimes it's not and and actually the church church didn't and people of faith all faiths actually are all going we need to talk about this, this and yeah, we need no, i mean absolutely. Uh, how many hits does he get 
does the well, we, website I can't, it's either 4.5 or 45 million a year I, I think mean, it 4. might be a lot. Yeah, it, and anyway but I, th- I think it's 45 million I mean it's it's extraordinary what those what those guys have done and if you want to find out more um just google will van der Hart or the heart and soul foundation it's an extraordinary website so many resources on there um to help you kind of get well from mental health just find out more how to help other people in mental health i know one of the things again we'll talked about in the interview was that they're gathering other um charities now together that are all working in the, uh, the same field to help pull resources and there's loads and loads of links on there so do do check it out and i think the most important thing for all of this is is don't suffer in silence in any way just talk it is one of the best things you can do about your mental health issues if you want to talk to um a professional great that i say heart and soul foundation um kate hoyle hypnotherapy two great places to to start um to get help but even just start by talking to your mate that's Hold on really a minute. the best place well we talk a lot i mean we do. but also another good place to go is this is our podcast as yes. we are actually seeing in real life indeed <laughs> indeed, indeed we are um, and let people know about it as well because again they can can hear the stories and one other thing before we we talk about much <laughs> i know this doesn't quite work on a podcast but katie's just basically fallen over so um yeah not quite sure what happened what happened there. I, katie, I, I've, have you started on the prosecco at 10 to 5 is that <laughs> <laughs> what's happened it's 11 o'clock somewhere in the world um, yeah, that's true. no, no. <sighs> so what's happening is the wifi um, ah, has gone Wiffy's wonderful problems. yeah or not wonderful is the is the thing um yeah. i've got hand cramp from like clutching my mic yeah um i then i've got me laptop on um on well my, my dad's like reedy thing and what happens is every time I move because I've got cramp in my legs because I've had to go on mum and dad's bed and it's like I've been a toddler again <laughs> top been um the laptop goes and it looks as though I've been a bit squiffy um I, I swear I'm not squiffy not yet anyway she's, it's she's time not, it's, it's, yeah <laughs> it's, it's too early in the afternoon folks even yeah crazy. um but on a, on a semi semi I'm going to say serious note we have found two things haven't we in, that work with this podcast in our families Yep. For your son and my uh, my young son, it helps them get to sleep. And uh, yeah, they play it. So any more tea will the podcast that will send you to sleep. <laughs> I'm, I'm not, not sure. sure. You're for. No, no. no. <laughs> or whether that was your original plan. It but was you know what? Plan, Again, you know. this is God. This is Absolutely. what he's doing. He's, he's multifaceting <laughs> our, podca- our podcast to make sure it's getting in all those different layers of people's yeah. needs. So yeah, um, don't go, don't go for night old folks. You know, although you know, other, other, other sleeping tablets are available. <laughs> go for any more tea. I need them. Absolutely. It is weird though, like walking to the bog at like one o'clock in the morning. Yeah, and that, hit, that's a weird thing. That's just generally in my kids' bedroom. I'm a bit like, well, <laughs> oh no, dear. I'm with him. No, it's, it's fine. It's okay. It's okay. Yeah. <laughs> now we t- two things just to let you know about. One, um, we talked about merch earlier on merch a merch so just if you want to just send us a private message on our facebook group um that you'd be interested in getting hold of one of our mugs uh, with other merch to follow as well and we will be putting price details and stuff on there uh, as well but if you would be interested in getting hold of a uh, of a mug let us know and secondly and we i know we always say this but 
you do not want to miss episode four. You really, really don't. It is an extraordinary interview with an absolute legend who has been so incredibly brave to come on the podcast. Um, and I'm not going to say any more than that because I want to leave you in suspense. But episode four is an absolute knockout. I don't even think I talk much. I was going to say that might be why it's an absolute knockout, but that would, that would, that would be hard. Did you hear that, listeners? Did you hear that? Have you heard him? Have you heard him? That's how, that's how we make me feel. This is friendship. I'm going to be trolled. <laughs> well, you wouldn't know. You're that tall. You'll not see him. <laughs> by, by Nanny Annie. That's what's going to happen. <laughs> Katie's mum's going to be after mm. me. Yes. Well, she already is, but you'll yeah, find yeah, out no, why absolutely. soon. <laughs> Guys, it's been uh, wonderful again to be with you. Hope you've enjoyed episode three. Um, listen out. It'll be with you very, very soon. I say you don't want to miss um, episode four at all. But until then, it's goodbye from me. And it's it's got to be peace again. Peace. So for more details about St. Mary Magdalene Church, you can check out uh, www.stmarymagdalene.co.uk or follow us on Facebook at St. Mary Magdalene Littleton UK. That's at St. Mary Magdalene Littleton UK.